There is a very, very cool story in McLean's magazine. Uh, it's titled The False Prophet of Edmonton. It is the story of John DeRuter, if I'm saying it right. We'll find out. Uh, he's a guy who today is facing multiple charges of sexual assault involving eight different women. His wife, also charged in connection with six of the assaults. But this is the end of the story, the final chapter, perhaps. We'll have to wait and see. But the book leading up to the final chapter is an incredible tale. It's absolutely remarkable. And the writer of The False Prophet of Edmonton is Luke Rinaldi. And Luke joins us now to tell us more about the story. Luke, thanks so much for being here. Great read. Fantastic story. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, Shay. I appreciate that. Um, okay, now before we get to the story, and this is just very self-serving, I've covered news for, for more than 30 years in the biz. I've never had the opportunity to work on long-form journalism like this. I love reading it. I think it would be fascinating. How much fun is it to take a deep dive into a story like this? And obviously you devoted a ton of time and research. I mean, how rewarding is that? Yeah, it's a dream job. Uh, I specialize in long form, uh, and this particular piece I started working on in the beginning of 2023, and so it took uh, the better part of a year to to see it to completion, involving reading a few books, talking to lots of people, and reading a ton of media coverage of this group, which has been around for decades now. Yeah, it's been around going back to, like, what, the 80s, I guess, actually, right? Really took off later, but let's, so let's go, is it John DeRuder? Is that how you say the name? I, my best understanding is that it's John DeRuyter, although Reiter. I've heard John DeRuyter, yeah. and I have heard John DeRuyter, but DeRuyter, I believe. Okay, yeah. Like you, I've only read it. I don't think I've actually heard anybody say it. Um, but it goes back a lot of years, and it, it, it's sort of based, originally, I guess, you can pick up the story at various places along its progress, but let's say it starts with what it essentially was uh, traditional or conventional religion, but then spun off from there, right? I mean, and it went off in some strange directions, but is that sort of where you think it would start? Yeah, that's right. I think the story really starts with John as a young man. Uh, you know, he's growing up in a Christian household in Alberta, and he is, you know, going through, I think, a relatively uh, ordinary path, going to sort of Bible college and um, exploring his options as being uh, of being a pastor, and uh, it's really when he starts uh, working at a, a local parish um, that the the weird starts coming out. Yeah. Um, he you know does sermons where he'll talk for nine hours straight, or say the same thing ad nauseum for several minutes, or say nothing at all, and. Eventually, the, the parish, you know, is saying, I don't think you're work. a right fit here. Um, <laughs> but some people really take to his style, and so they formed their own little group. And that was really the seed of, of the Oasis group or the College of Integrative Philosophy or the Oasians or the, the Johnites, whatever you might want to call them. And that's, what, 20 years ago? That's when it starts to, this, this new offshoot starts to take off, and he, he becomes pretty successful. He's something of a star, right? That's right. Um, in the 1990s, I think, is when he really starts picking up steam. At first, it was really just locals, but I think as sort of a new age community was popping up, um, and he started traveling around the world, um, you know, doing these sort of spiritual teaching sessions. Um, some people really uh, resonated with what he was doing, and many of them followed him back to Edmonton and started living there. Um, and he would visit, visit places like India and Israel and Europe. Um, and uh, his most devoted followers 
um, really thought he was something special, um, you know, whether just sort of an enlightened uh, spiritual teacher or to, to many, uh, this the second coming of Christ. And like you say, it was far-reaching. I mean, he had some big-name celebrities out of New York City that were involved. Like, it wasn't just a, a Northern Alberta movement. It went right across the world. That's absolutely right. Um, I think the sort of most high-profile member of the group would have been the CBS News correspondent, Jimmy Parr, um, whose son is Chris Doth, uh, who played big on Sex and the City. Yeah. Um, and both of them, you know, attended meetings for, for a number of years. Um, until I think, you know, the, uh, the controversy started sure. coming up. That's and when <laughs> they left. Not uncommon with groups like this, and a number of names will spring to mind. It turns out that the allegation, at least, and we'll, we'll say they're allegations because the court case is pending. Uh, this became a vehicle for him to have sex with women, essentially. At, at its core, there's all kinds of other things happening, but that's what the criminality that's being alleged is centered around, right? Basically, him abusing women in his role as spiritual leader. That's right. So the charges against him, there are eight, um, relate to um, sexual interactions that he had with members of his own group, female members, and they allege that Essentially, John was saying, if you have sex with me, you will reach a higher state of consciousness, you'll reach enlightenment. And so the question at the heart of the upcoming trial will be whether that constituted sexual assault, um, whether they could yeah. give valid consent if they were sort of promised something by a authority figure um, in exchange for sex. So the state of this court case, uh, first complainant started coming out earlier this year, right? And at the end of the day, we've got a total of eight that have come forward to allege they had been sexually assaulted? That's correct. There were four who came forward together, um, I believe, in, in January or definitely earlier this year. And then there were additional charges laid a little later in the year, um, a group of three, and then one additional. And I believe that may be it. Um, but, who, you know, who's to say things sure. can, can develop. And the court case scheduled for, well, could be as late as 2025, right? That's right. Yeah, it, it may take some time. And I imagine there will be quite a bit of, um, you know, sort of investigation and, and the usual sort of processes to prepare both sides for the trial. Okay, I, I want to find out what the state of the movement is these days in just a moment. But first, let's go back to the height of it, because at a time, like a, a huge building, uh, it was a big business and he was making a lot of money. And so when at the peak of his powers, if you will, what kind of life was he leading? Yeah, he was leaving a very comfortable life. Um, he was based for a number of years out of a building in northwest Edmonton called the Oasis Center. And this was a really sort of luxurious building, $7 million it sold for um, during the pandemic when the group sort of um, got rid of it. Uh, but, you know, this is a big sort of church-like building, modernist facade, um, beautiful gardens out back. And uh, people would pay. Uh, for the meetings uh, to attend. And so John enjoyed sort of the revenue from that. Uh, he also enjoyed revenue from, uh, uh, you know, a streaming service called John DeRoyer TV. Um, he sold, back in the day, sort of cassettes and uh, DVDs and pictures of himself. And so he had something of a spiritual empire. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, he, he, lived, he lived a comfortable life. He had a nice house in a nice part of Edmonton. Um, he, he drove a, 
monster truck, uh, which, you know, apparently sort of something that he had an affinity for. Um, and, uh, you know, his, his job was essentially to, to sit uh, before people and answer questions or simply stare at them. Um, and for that, he, he got to enjoy quite a, quite a good life. It's amazing. It's totally amazing. Now, what's the state of John DeRyder? It, it, it's a real fall from grace. He's he's living in a small town about an hour and a half north of Edmonton. Is that right? That's correct. So since the criminal charges were laid, the group has sort of splintered. There's certainly a number of people who I think for them, these charges really represented a, a crossing of the line. They said, you know what? Uh, I don't think I can follow John in good conscience now. And so they've, uh, they've left the group. But the people that I spoke to, my sources estimate that there might be about a hundred people who are still somewhat, um, you know, devoted to him, whether they all made the move to live with him, um, in Northern Alberta. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, but there has been great reporting from the Globe and Mail, John Prudent at the Globe and Mail about their, their move northward. Um, to Fort Cinnaboyne, and um, they have a sort of retreat center and, and campground called Midnight Sky, um, where they're you know currently based. Um, they're no longer sort of an Edmonton-based movement, mm-hmm. um, but they're up there, you know, continuing their their usual thing. Of course, John has some bail conditions about who he can be with um, alone, specifically. Um, but you know, they're they're talking about their their usual thing and. Um, I guess, awaiting trial to see what will happen with John. Yeah, as we all are. Just an amazing story. Um, Luke, thank you so much for uh, being here and walking us through it today. I really do appreciate your time.